Entrepreneur Weekly interviews the brilliant leaders of today in order to provide a stepping stone of wisdom on the journey to personal business ownership. Now, here's your host, Alan Taylor. Today, a special show from Utah, Salt Lake City, uh, the Venture Fuel Summit, a summit to fuel high growth ventures. And guess what? We're going to have Jen Gottlieb from uh, Super Connector Media as Entrepreneur Weekly's special correspondent doing live interviews with my buddy Randy Garn. And uh, hopefully they'll have some fun interviews for you guys. So take it away, Jen. I am here with a good friend of mine, the founder and CEO of GrowRev, Rohan Sheth. He is the Facebook ads paid media master. And so I'm so excited to have him here for this interview on Entrepreneur Radio. What's up, Rohan? What's up, Jen? Thanks for having me. Oh, so excited. Okay. So there are some things that I don't know about you. So for all of you guys, Rohan runs my paid ads, our Facebook ads. If you see them for the Beyond TV bootcamp on your Facebook, which you probably do because we run a lot of them, that is Rohan's incredible team. I want to know how you got into running ads and Facebook ads? Like, What was the beginning for you and why did you start this agency? Yeah, so for me, I came from a very entrepreneurial family back in India. Parents owned an airline, gave it all up, moved to Canada, restarted from scratch. So I was like, for me, it was a purpose-driven thing. I went from like this living this lifestyle to, you know, most people go from rags to riches. I went from like riches to rags. I'm like, I want to go back there. So I was like, how do you get back there? Entrepreneurship was the only thing that I knew. So I got really, really good at sales. I did door-to-door sales for two and a half years, then got poached by a direct sales company, did that for a long time and eventually mastered the art of one-to-one selling and then got into one-to-many and then learning from like Jay Abraham, Dan Kennedy and used my skills of selling to high ticket, working with high-level business owners, inspired human beings because at the end of the day, you can sell anybody, but it's like I wanted to work with people like yourselves and Chris and what you guys are doing and sharing so that you guys can make a difference with the masses. That was my skill set and that's kind of how I transitioned from sales to marketing to advertising because the way I look at humans, I look at a mass difference versus just a one-to-one difference. Now, what have you seen that's changed in the world of Facebook ads? Because I know a lot has changed recently. And how are you guys coping with this? Um, a lot has changed. Like I've been on Facebook since the beginning and the inception of Facebook. And I'm sure you've seen it as well. Things are a lot easier. Things are, you know, you could literally just get ads up and running. This is interest-based targeting, whatever you want to call it. This year, Facebook just went 180. So for us, it's become a very hands-on process. As you've experienced, a lot more communication with our clients when it comes to, hey, we're doing X, Y, and Z for you to make sure that we can make things work. We're moving at the speed of light a lot of the times because sometimes Facebook may not work. We've got to move you to YouTube. We have to move you to TikTok. And it's been one of those situations where I think a lot of the clients that we've worked with that have seen that how fast we can transition is really what's also put us on the map. Yeah, you guys do act fast. And I think that is really what differentiates you. What's some other things that differentiates your agency from other agencies? Because there's a lot of agencies out there and there's probably agency owners listening to this show right now. And they're thinking, hmm, how do I differentiate myself from other ad agencies or PR agencies or social media agencies? So the one thing that we started was always trying to figure out what's the next step coming ahead. And that's like when Matt and I first partnered together, we did Facebook, just Facebook and Google search. That's kind of what we focused on. Then we started to notice Facebook was getting more expensive. Let's find multiple networks. So we were actually one of the very first agencies in the direct response marketing space to be a multi-platform agency. So that was the next one. Then we started to go down, okay, well, we're doing ads, let's do funnels. And we started doing funnels. Now we've gotten to a point where we've got ads, funnels, and a full content team. We'll fly our teams out, whatever needs to happen to get content shot. Now, obviously, pre-COVID was a lot easier for that. COVID's made things a little bit more difficult. So now we kind of work with our team and we're always adding. And, you know, like right now, one of the big things that we're looking at is TikTok. A lot of people are focusing on TikTok. So like, we were one of the very first agencies that when TikTok launched in North America to have 
an actual agency connect directly into them so we can launch all of our high spending clients into that world. I love it. Okay. So young kid coming here, deciding, all right, I want to start something new. I have this idea, but I don't know where to start. You've built an amazing business, an amazing company with an incredible team, and you've gotten unbelievable success. So I want to hear from you. What would your number one piece of advice be to a kid that's just starting out? So my number one piece of advice to someone that's just starting out is just go learn from someone that has got what you want. Number one thing is figure out what you want. Like, what business do you want to build? And find the best in that industry and go learn from them. That is something that I wish I was told because I ended up learning the hard way, failing, 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 to eventually figuring it out. And that's something that we do today. It's like even when you know kids come to me and say, oh, I want to come work for you. It's like, great. What value can you provide to my company before I give you a dollar in exchange for that? Because if you can provide more value to me, I'm willing to transition that. And I think that's where the younger generation in today's day and age just doesn't get it. So if you're listening to this and you're like, hey, I want to go become the next best at you know, advertising, find the best advertising agency and just go intern with them for three months. And that's kind of the best way to do it. I love it. Great advice. Great interview. Thank you so much, Rohan. All right, everyone go check out growrev.com. Go check out Rohan and go learn more because they're the best in the biz. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jen. Okay, hang tight. We're going to take a little break. It is live coverage of the Venture Fuel Summit in Salt Lake City. This is Entrepreneur Weekly. Stay tuned. There's more Entrepreneur Weekly after these messages. Today, Jen Gottlieb from Super Connector Media, Entrepreneur Weekly's special correspondent, doing some live interviews from the Venture Fuel Summit. Here she is. Take it away, Jen. I am here at the Venture Fuel Summit with Ty Brown, the CEO and founder of Zaf. I'm so excited to be with you. Ty, he just gave me an amazing sweatshirt. They've got great swag. How are you? How's it going? I'm so good. It's so good to be with you, Jen. Thanks. Oh my gosh. You're so welcome. So, Let's start off by talking a little bit about Zaf. Tell everybody what it is, where it came from, what it does, and how it can help business owners. Certainly. So Zaf stands for Zero Attorney Fees. And Zaf is really the child of an old, reputable personal injury law firm and the Utah Supreme Court's grand experiment with regulatory reform. The Utah Supreme Court recognized there's this access to justice crisis where people who have legal needs, guess what? They're not getting help because it's it's expensive. And now they're operating in systems designed by lawyers for lawyers, but without a lawyer, right? And um, there's just not a lot of innovation in the practice of law because it's so tightly regulated. You can't have non-lawyer ownership of a law firm. And you know what? A lot of lawyers are not that innovative, right? They're not, like, not known for being the most amazing entrepreneurs. It's like, we're really good in codes. And that's like basically all. It's <laughs> So the Utah Supreme Court said, hey, we're going to do something radical to try and allow for innovation. We're going to open up a regulatory sandbox where law firms can approach us and they can say, hey, look, here's the rules that we would like to break these old rules. And we're going to do it under the Utah Supreme Court supervision. And here's how we think that's going to benefit consumers of legal services. And so here I was working at this really old but reputable personal injury firm called Nuttle, Brown and Coots. And uh, these really effective lawyers say, hey, let's go ahead and let's innovate. Whereas a lot of the people in our industry are like, hey, this is really bad. Like, we got to oppose this. And maybe there's even constitutional challenges about them doing this. And anyway, we decided to embrace it. And so we got to work coming up with, like, how can we serve these accident victims? That's what we do is personal injury, right? Mm -hmm. People who've been hurt in accidents. How can we help these folks? And uh, 
And we came up with so many really awful ideas over a long period of time. But also mixed in was a couple of really good ones. And we realized there are opportunities to actually provide zero attorney fee representation to accident victims. And normally, you know, attorneys are taking a third of settlements. And that's how we've always made money. And we thought there's a better way. And um, so we found out a couple new ways. The Utah Supreme Court loved our proposal. They said, go for it. We've taken on non-lawyer ownerships, one of the first venture-backed firms in the world. And um, here we are building some innovative strategies. Congratulations, Ty. This is truly disruptive. And I love what you said when you said we had a lot of bad ideas first. And I think the number one most, one of the number one most important things about being an entrepreneur is being able to take risks and have some bad ideas and have some failures. And I'm sure there was a lot of moments in your career when you were building this that you were really scared that it wasn't going to work. Can you take me through the mindset behind having a bad idea maybe that didn't work and having the courage to try again and to keep going even when it wasn't working? That really just comes down to this concept of belief and also kind of this fearlessness, right? And I'm not necessarily, I don't think of myself as being really either of those, but I had to become that a little bit because here we are asking for millions of dollars to go into an idea that's never been tested. It's never even been allowed. And here we are saying, we believe this will work. And you know what? We believed it long enough and hard enough that the Utah Supreme Court believed it. And then our venture partners believed it. And now the partners that we're trying to get, these enterprise-level companies, they're starting to believe it too. And it just comes from this just this relentless internal belief that this is better. This is the way it should be. This is a better way of doing it. And the truth is, if, if we don't do it, someone else will, but why not us, right? And I constantly ask myself, well, someone's going to succeed at this innovation, and why not us? What would you say to a budding entrepreneur that has an idea that maybe is like, oh my gosh, I, I just, I believe, but I don't fully believe. Like I have fear and I have doubt. What do you do with that fear and doubt? Or is there a tactic or a tool that you use to be able to feel that fear and doubt and do it anyway? Well, there's no question that our belief in ourselves, it's not always bulletproof. And you know, it doesn't have to be to be successful as long as you don't let it defeat you. I think if you're really battling with hesitations and fears, you know, get out there and talk to people and realize how many people are there for you. You're not doing this alone. And that's why we surround ourselves with great teams. I'm probably the least talented person in my whole firm, right? And here I am trying to lead it. But I always know, no matter how bad I mess things up, I've got really talented people around me. And that gives me a lot of comfort. And uh, it also allows me, if I'm questioning myself, I never question my team because I have that kind of respect for them. Connection is key when it comes to anything. So Surrounding yourself with people who get it, people that support you, and people that are smarter than you. Frankly, when you're an entrepreneur, like I love to surround myself with people that are smarter than me, and that has always been the key. That's probably really hard for you to do because I don't even know that many people that could possibly be smarter. Oh my god! And we just met. Thank you so much, Ty. This was absolutely amazing. Stay tuned for more interviews from the Venture Fuel Summit. This is Jen Gottlieb, and this is Entrepreneur Radio. Doing a great job, Jen. We'll take a little break. It is Entrepreneur Weekly today, live in Salt Lake City from the Venture Fuel. Summit. I wanna hold them like they do in Texas, please. Fold them, let them hit me, raise it, baby, stay with me. You're listening. 
listening to Entrepreneur Weekly. Now, here's your host, Alan Taylor. Thanks for joining us today. Special coverage of the Venture Fuel Summit in Salt Lake City. My buddy Randy Garn and Jen Gottlieb together doing some great interviews at the Venture Fuel Summit in Salt Lake City. You guys doing a great job. Keep going. Keep going. I like it. Back to you guys. Jen Gottlieb here from the Venture Fuel Summit. And I am sitting here with Birch Eve, the founder and CEO of Pickle. Welcome, Birch. How are you doing? Doing very well. Thank you so much for having me. So excited to be here with you because you have an a really disruptive, amazing company that I want to talk about. Tell us about Pickle, what it does, and where the idea came from. Yeah, so Pickle is conversation intelligence meets productivity intelligence. So you can think of it like when you're on your Zoom calls, we automatically record, transcribe, and then allow you to be able to take kind of like productive tasks, like a new style of smart note-taking, and be able to kind of manage your everyday conversations from business meetings, HR recruiting, venture capital, to all the above. I love this because I'm on Zoom calls all day, every day with people, and I often forget what happens on that Zoom call. So essentially, Pickle will take notes, remind you about things. Tell me about the experience that I'm going to have when I use Pickle. It's actually super organic. So it's almost like an inbox experience. So after each call, um, you'll actually be able to see the call process with your notes, everything live, like right there inside of an inbox. And you can move it to when you want those tasks to be done. Because what most people don't really kind of consider is there's so many small details inside of your everyday Zoom conversations that you might miss. And people are worried about it. So they'll start taking notes that are, you know, I call them the over transcribers or the courtroom transcribers. And so they're writing every single bit down. Well, with Pickle, you don't have to worry about that. And so if you actually want to do a task or anything, it's just a quick shortcut on your keyboard. And then from there, you'll be able to look at it, assign it out, and pretty much not have to worry about it. So it's like a, a secondary brain, if you will. I love this. I'm, I'm already thinking, oh my gosh, okay, I need to go buy this and sign up for my company. But tell me how Pickle was born. How did you create it? And then I also want to know where the name came from. Yeah, so it's uh, Pickle AI. Um, you can find us at PickleAI.com. Pickle really came from being able, being frustrated with having so many different conversations. So we were actually born right at like the peak of the pandemic. So for the Utah people out there, right when Rudy Gobert got COVID, we actually signed a lease on a little office space and we we're like, oh my gosh, this is an enormous mistake. And then it actually pushed us towards the Zoom video because it was growing so fast. So we kind of like caught the wave right as it was starting to take off. Um, and the, the original idea actually stemmed from, um, there's a longer story that I won't get into, but it's, it's really where you constantly hear when you're making, you know, phone calls of, you know, this call may be monitored and recorded and you hear that so many times growing up and then from there it was like who's listening to these what do they do with all of them and then instead of phone calls we got into the video calls and then we started looking at it from a productivity standpoint and that there's there's a massive conversation intelligence that's kind of what the market is called and then there's a productivity space that is kind of untapped when it comes to being able to sync the two and so that's where pickle really thrives and that's where we've been growing really rapidly and the name Pickle? So Pickle, this is the nerd side of me, so I apologize, but uh, I was actually scrolling through a little block of code and because I don't really have a life, and I was just sitting there with my wife, and inside of uh, the programming language Python, it can help produce what's known as a Pickle file. Like a .pdf, it's quite literally like a .pickle. And I looked over at her, I was like, what if we called it, wouldn't it be hilarious if we called it Pickle? And then I went on uh, GoDaddy.com and found PickleAI.com for $18. And we were like, yep, that's, uh, let's go with that. That's it. And this is a fairly new company. So you decided to make a pivot when COVID happened, which a lot of other people did. What were you doing before you started Pickle? So before Pickle, we, I was actually with a completely different company. It was a little manufacturing company. I was over finance and operations in Louisville, Kentucky. And it kind of, I was hitting my head against the, 
kind of the, the desk, not really knowing what to do and wanted to start something on my own. And that's where we kind of picked up everything, sold it and just moved out to Utah. Now, you say it so easily, like, oh, we just picked up, sold it and moved to Utah, started this company. But I'm sure there are a lot of people out there listening right now that have an idea and have a desire to become an entrepreneur, but there is a lot of fear. There's a lot of imposter syndrome. There's a lot of hesitation. What was the secret sauce or maybe your superpower that really helped you to take action on that idea instead of just sitting around and thinking about it? So for my own personal experience, two things. One is make sure your significant other is on board. That's super important. And the other one is find a solid co-founder. So Kamana Renlisbacher is my co-founder, and he is a phenomenal human being. It's a whole lot easier to jump off the cliff if you're with somebody that you know and trust. How did you find your co-founder? Uh, we're actually, we married into the same family. So like his wife and my wife are cousins. We met at Thanksgiving a few years back, and he has, the, there's very few people that like I've met that have the same drive and passions as, as I do, and come on and fit that bill. And we always wanted to do something together. So when we moved out to Utah, it was one of those things where like, you know, now or never. All right. Now or never. Well, it is now, and this is happening, and you're a very successful entrepreneur in a very short amount of time. So what would be one piece of advice you would give to a budding entrepreneur that is wanting to start a business, wanting to disrupt something that maybe is one of your superpowers or that helped you to be able to, to really create something like Pickle? Start building. Before anything, before you have to worry about like what's going on, how are you going to capture the specific market, just start building and get people to start use it. Because as you get feedback from those customers, they're going to be the ones that tell you, yes, I need this, or this sucks, or I can't really do this. And as you are able to adapt to it, you're going to build the product that people know and love. And that's what we've been doing from day one. Just start. I love that so much. I think that one of the biggest mistakes people make is they hesitate and they think about it too much and they plan it out too much. And you don't really know what you don't know until you start building it and you start taking action. So what amazing advice from you, Birch. Thank you so much. Tell everybody one more time where they can find out about Pickle. Just PickleAI.com. Fantastic. Thank you for being here. This is Jen Gottlieb from the Venture Fuel Summit, and we will be back with more interviews on Entrepreneur Radio. Okay, hang tight. We're going to take a little break. It is live coverage of the Venture Fuel Summit in Salt Lake City. This is Entrepreneur Weekly. Want to find out more about Entrepreneur Entrepreneur Weekly? Visit us at entrepreneur.com. You're listening to Entrepreneur Weekly. Now, here's your host, Alan Taylor. Welcome back. I'm on assignment today. So Jen Gottlieb is doing some interviews at the Venture Fuel Summit in Salt Lake City with uh, my buddy Randy Garn showing her around and bringing people to the microphone. So back to you, Jen. I am here with an absolutely epic, epic entrepreneur, business owner, Keaton Hatch. He is the founder and CEO of Tamrac. So excited to be here with you today. What's going on? How's it going, Jen? Thanks so much. Yeah, we're having our Venture Fuel Summit today. So it's our second annual public summit that we have for Utah entrepreneurs and we're just excited to be here. So thanks for doing this. You're so welcome. It's rocking and rolling here. So where did the idea for the Venture Fuel Summit come from? So we started Tamrac about five years ago in 2016. We started holding an annual summit for all of our portfolio companies. So we'd have our management from our portfolio companies. We'd get together and we'd listen to fabulous speakers. And yeah, it got, became so popular for our portfolio companies that all of a sudden last year we're like, you know what? 
we need to open this up to the public, let the Utah entrepreneur scene be a part of it. We started bringing in higher caliber speakers and and uh, just just great people. And uh, it's just it's really come together in the last couple of years. And and uh, yeah, what you see today is kind of what's happened in the last couple of years. It's awesome. The energy here is fire. You have such amazing speakers. It's incredible. So tell me about Tamrac. Tell me about how long you've been in business, how many companies are in your portfolio, and where it all started. So I'm, I'm actually Canadian. I moved down to the States about 10 years ago. We had an oil and gas company that, uh, that we had taken public. And in about 2014, we'd uplisted on the NASDAQ. We were seeing some really, really great success with that company. And uh, it was super exciting and still is super exciting. It's still around. In 2016, we saw a major, major decline in the oil prices and gas prices. And that really hit us as a publicly traded company. It really hit us specifically in the oil sector I mean, in a pretty negative way. And so what, what Tamarack was, was essentially a, an approach for us to, to be able to create diversification. And so I left Profire, which was this oil and gas company. I left that in 2016 and I, I spun up Tamarack really as a diversification portfolio. And uh, we just started investing in businesses. We just started finding businesses we liked and ideas we liked. And because we weren't a fund and it was self-funded, we were pretty much able to invest in any kind of idea or business that we liked or any startup that we liked. And so we, uh, we just started buying into businesses. And, and our, our model since has shifted pretty, pretty aggressively. Initially, we took fairly large slugs of a few companies and it's since shifted into smaller positions in many more companies. And so it's turned into more of a venture equity, growth equity kind of uh, investment firm as opposed to like a private equity investment firm. And so we've seen great success. We've been growing like crazy. We have a, a I mean, mo- most of what we do is is venture investments and, and seed and, and later stage, seed stage capital. But uh, we've also got a real estate portfolio and, and we have an incubator program for younger companies to come in that aren't quite far enough along to raise a round of capital. We'll kind of, we, we call it an IV. We put them on an IV and we keep them keep them alive and keep them funded until they have their product in a place that is able to go significantly raise capital. And How many companies now yeah. do you have? Good question. So I don't know exactly. We're 30-something now um, in the last four and a half, five years. We've got about 30, probably I would guess 32 is my guess. And uh, there's a lot in the queue right now. So there's a lot happening. So. Okay. So I know everybody is thinking this question, actually. What do you look for in a company to invest in? What's the number one thing? Like when you see a company, because I'm sure you get pitched from probably hundreds of companies wanting you to invest in them. What makes you say, okay, yes, I believe in you. This is going to be a hit. Yeah, that's an interesting question. With typical fund structures, your fund kind of dictates the type of businesses you can invest in, right? But where we aren't a fund and it's our own capital and uh, we aren't really kind of puppeted by some of those strings that are restraining some of these other kind of firms. And so we really, we love initially to look for the individual. We, we love to find individuals that are excited about their idea that, that we see have a lot of passion about what they're doing and a lot of energy to create value. I think when I'm initially gauging my interest in a company, I'm looking straight at the individual and saying, do I like this person? Can I see ourselves working with this person? And can I see them building and creating a successful business? For me, that's probably the most important thing, especially I love to work with people I want to work with. And I, I don't want to spend a lot of time with, with people that I don't get along with. And we've had a few businesses where we've strictly turned them down because we don't necessarily see eye to eye with the philosophies of the entrepreneurs that are running the business. And so 
We love to, to create value. We love to create impact. We obviously are partnered with the Maloof Foundation and, and love to do as much as we can to support and bolster their impact that they're creating. But I would say that's kind of the primary thing that I look for in a business. Secondly, I like to see scalability. I like to see a company that can that can today be this thing that it is, but I love to see that there is a, a massive flair in what they're capable of accomplishing mm-hmm. and, and a position of the market that they're able to take. So we love to see scalable companies and then it gets a little more granular into financials of the business and then you can get you, you get deeper and deeper and deeper. But I, I think those are the initial things that kind of trigger our interest in looking at a company. I love it. What's a tip you could give to an entrepreneur that's interested in starting to raise capital for the first time? Like they have never done this before. They know nothing about it, but they know they need to raise money. What is their first step or what's some advice you could give them so that they could start off strong? We can tell when there's not a lot of passion behind an idea. Like we can tell when there's not a lot of commitment to what you're trying to accomplish. And uh, if you fully believe in what you're doing, it's super easy to tell for, a, for an investor. And so I would say before you go and raise capital and before you look to kind of really double down on your business, make sure that you love what you're doing. Like you don't want to be doing something that you're doing it because you need to make money or you need to appease your previous investors or your, your partners or whatever. Do it because you love doing it and do it because you want to be doing it. And it's pretty easy for us to, to see through that if that's not the case, right? And so I would say that's, that's most important is doing what you love and everybody successful that is in this building, that's at this event, that's built a successful business, they've loved what they've done. And they've done it because it's not just a job, because it's a passion, right? And so if you can learn to love what you do, learn to love what you're doing, I think it comes out in every way as you're presenting your business and as you're raising capital and as you're finding partnerships and it manifests itself through your actions such a perfect way to end. Do what you love. Be passionate about what you do and everything will fall into place. Thank you so much. This was amazing. I'm so grateful to be able to be here at the second Venture Fuel Summit. And this is Jen Gottlieb with Entrepreneur Radio and I will see you guys again or you will hear from me again with my next interview from another incredible entrepreneur. Okay, hang tight. We're going to take a little break. It is live coverage of the Venture Fuel Summit in Salt Lake City. This is Entrepreneur Weekly. Want to find out more about Entrepreneur Weekly? Visit us at entrepreneur.com. Discover unstoppable industry influencers who celebrate disruptive thinking and game-changing business strategies on Entrepreneur Weekly. Now, here's your host, Alan Taylor. Welcome back to Entrepreneur Weekly Today, a special show from the Venture Fuel Summit in Salt Lake City. Jen Gottlieb from Superconnector Media, a special correspondent for Entrepreneur Weekly, doing some interviews. So back to you, Jen Gottlieb. We are at the Venture Fuel Summit, and I am sitting here with Travis Steffens, the founder and CEO of Our Investments. I'm so excited to be speaking with this incredible entrepreneur because he's doing something very disruptive, very groundbreaking. Thank you so much for being here, Travis. Oh, you're so welcome. It's my honor. Thank you for having me. So tell me about Our Investments, what it is that you guys do, and how you do things differently. Our Investments is a vertically integrated real estate investment company that was founded in 2006. And in 2014, we started venturing across the country. So we started in Denver, Colorado, and we moved all 
nine states now that we're working in, and so we focus on multifamily housing and old hotels in the roughest areas of the country. And we realize that over time that real estate is our avenue to people. And so as we started to see how we could make a big impact in these neighborhoods and the lives of these people, we started to build a mission and a vision around raising the collective consciousness in these neighborhoods. And these are the forgotten neighborhoods of the country, the war zones, the areas where most people wouldn't purchase real estate because you have to bootstrap so much because you can't find people to work in these areas. So necessity being the mother of all invention, we started to build companies within the company and thus was born the vertical integration. So our investments is the umbrella company that purchases the property. Our restorations is our construction company and its mission and vision is to hire only homeless individuals. So we take them off the street or out of sober houses and they come in, we onboard them, they get full medical, dental, eye insurance they've never had before. We get them a bank account. Most of them have not had a bank account for so long. They don't know what it's like to be able to have a debit card or things of that nature. We onboard them into our nonprofit, which is called Our Empowerment and part of the our families so our empowerment and when we onboard them they have to start a budget class immediately and then the next step is introducing them to their housing so we typically take them shopping to walmart or target get the bare necessities and we have to leave the past behind so we focus a lot on neuroplasticity and epigenetics and falling in love with the future self so we leave the old clothes behind the old stuff behind take them get them completely re-outfitted and then show them their unit and they each get a, a room wherever we're working on and so most of the time it's the first time they've had their own bed in many years and so once they've had a good night's sleep they get up the next morning they know that they have to line up for what we call a muster and a lot of military type strategies to get them back on their feet but instead of breaking them down to build them back up we give them a lot of loving accountability we identified the significance as a number one human need and so they show up at the morning meeting. We have fun accountability stuff, like if they're late for a meeting, they have to sing a song in front of everyone. And so then they get acquainted with their tools. And so if Bob comes in and we identify that Bob would be good at baseboard and casing, then he'll show up at the Toolcon X and we'll have a cart ready for Bob every single day with all the tools he needs for the, to do the job and do it well. And we identified over time that we have to make sure that they're always moving forward. They're never moving backwards and they're never standing still. So we warehouse all of our own materials, huge jobs, five, 600 units of warehouse materials. We can fill up entire old Walmarts with nothing but materials. And then um, we always deliver the materials in front of them and they always have the right tools. The batteries are always charged. So they're always moving forward and that helps them to let go of the past and move into that future self. So that's the mission of our restorations, a construction company. And with that process, we're four times faster than anyone we can find in the country, renovating apartment buildings and hotels. When did this whole idea come to you? How did it come to you? And what was the impetus for taking action on the idea? Because it is so groundbreaking. And again, necessity being the mother of invention, we had a heart for people the entire time. The 501 had already been formed, but we got to where we were placing ads on Craigslist and we'd put an ad out for a tradesman. We'd get 10 people that would respond back. We'd ask all 10 to show up with anticipation of hiring potentially all 10 because these were huge jobs. And two would show up 
so we'd hire those two and then within 24 hours they were gone and so we got so tired of that rat race that we went out underneath a bridge called Joey's Bridge and we saw a gentleman in there that was homeless and he had his two kids with him actually and he would live under this bridge because it was close to their foster home and so we took him in and gave him the whole process that I just talked about as our first individual to do this and he became very successful so he kind of helped us launch this whole program because once we got them in got them successful we knew they would stay and so the reward for that just became so exponential that we just loved focusing on it. And so the programs built further and larger from there, the bank accounts and the budget programs and all that kind of stuff. All right, world, you want to learn more. <laughs> you definitely do. This is absolutely epic. I'm so grateful I got to sit down and talk to you and learn about this. Thank you so much, everybody. This is Entrepreneur Radio. I'm Jen Gottlieb, and we'll be back in a bit. Doing a great job, Jen. We'll take a little break. It is Entrepreneur Weekly today, live in Salt Lake City from the Venture Fuel Summit. Stay tuned. There's more Entrepreneur Weekly after these messages. Are you paying too much for business insurance? Do you have critical gaps in your coverage? Entrepreneur Insurance can help you find out. In six out of ten policies, business owners are paying too much for property, general liability, or workers' comp insurance. Entrepreneur Insurance can help you identify ways to save and any gaps in coverage. Head to entrepreneur.com slash insurance to complete the questionnaire and get a personalized quote. It's an easy way to find out if you're paying too much. Again, that's entrepreneur.com slash insurance. Listening to Entrepreneur Weekly. Now, here's your host, Alan Taylor. Welcome back. I'm on assignment today. So, Jen Gottlieb is doing some interviews at the Venture Fuel Summit in Salt Lake City with uh, my buddy Randy Garn showing her around and bringing people to the microphone. So, back to you, Jen. I am here with Kent Hall, the Chief Technology Officer at Client Tether. And we're so excited to have you here, Ken, because I can't wait to talk about what it is you guys are doing because it is epic and disruptive. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. And thank you for having me today. I do appreciate being here. So excited to have you. So tell me a little bit about Client Tether, what it is, and where it came from. Client Tether was uh, created by our founder, Conrad Kolba, who is a serial franchisor. And between one of his franchises and the next one, he stopped to build Client Tether to solve a particular problem. And that problem was lead engagement across the entire franchise system. And in that process, in putting together Client Tether, we've developed a modern-aged CRM for franchised home services. And what we mean by that is the CRM is a, a customer relationship management system, and it solves these issues particularly for the franchise world. So the common pain that uh, franchisers have is when they pay for and find all these leads, it goes to the franchise, the local franchise location. And then they sit on it. I mean, it's like somebody walks into a retail location and they put things in their basket and they go up to the front counter and they say, can you help me with this? And they say, I'll get to you tomorrow. (laughs) 
that, that's just crazy. You'd never allow that to happen. But it happens all the time in the modern age world where you're marketing and through the internet, the lead comes in and the people that are supposed to help them sit behind the counter and they look at that. It's almost lunchtime. I'll get to them after lunch. So there goes an hour. And then after lunch, it's like, oh, well, I've got to do this other thing. I got to do that. And it's a day or two days before they ever get back to somebody. Ken, why do you think that is? So you would think that business owners want business. They want leads. Why do you think they almost sabotage the leads that come into their business by not responding right away? You know, I think it's part of human nature. Humans don't necessarily want to reach out and make that call. They don't want to reach out and and get back with them. And then once they try to make that first call, if they don't get in contact with them, they kind of feel embarrassed calling again and again and again. And so our system will allow you to contact them by text messaging, by email, and by phone calls. If you have enough staff and you have people in in the house that can take phone calls, our system will actually call them and say, hey, reach out to customer new, new customer one, two, three, and here's why they came in. And then they're able to just press a number one and get an immediate contact with them. And if they don't reach them at that time, again, in our, our painting franchise world from Conrad Kolba, he actually called them immediately. And if they didn't reach him, they'd call him in 15 minutes. If they didn't reach him, they'd call him in an hour. If they didn't reach them and call them in four hours and then again the next day. And that's just the phone calls. In the meantime, they're also texting and emailing to them. So it becomes very persistent, not just immediate, but persistent. Persistence is key when it comes to sales. And I do think that people get in their own way a lot when it comes to persistently following up. So this is an amazing, amazing system that you can use to not have to go through that, maybe that pain that an introvert might experience of reaching out to leads. I love it. So what would you, what would be your number one piece of advice for an entrepreneur building a company? Because you've been, you've been part of many companies going from the ground up. So tell me one piece of advice that you would give to somebody listening. That's like, I really, I have this idea. I have an answer to a problem and I want to actually build this, but I don't even know the first step to take. As an entrepreneur myself, I normally wore all the hats. I was the salesperson. I was the developer. I was the the one who did all of the work. And you can't do that. You must break that up. And a system like ours actually puts somebody, technology, what it feels like somebody, it puts somebody in your corner with you working with some of our new AI that's coming out to do chatbots and so on. It'll actually set up the appointment for you while you're in painting or cleaning the carpet or doing something else, it will actually set up the appointment for you. So your advice would be to just get client tether. (laughs) And how would somebody go about doing that? Well, you can find us online at clienttether.com. Super simple. I love it. Thank you so much, Kent, for being here. Very good. And thank you for having me. Again, I appreciate it. All right. And we are here with Entrepreneur Radio. Again, we are live from the Venture Fuel Summit. A big thanks to Jennifer Gottlieb from Super Connector Media out of New York City covering the Venture Fuel Summit in Salt Lake City. And thanks to Randy Garn and all the folks at the Venture Fuel Summit for letting us do live interviews. That's about it for us today. I'm Alan Taylor. We'll see you next week right here on Entrepreneur Weekly. See you then. I saw an angel of Adam Shaw. She smiled at me on the subway. She was with another man. This program is copyrighted by Entrepreneur Media Incorporated. I've got a plan.